From WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Karen Henderson. On the show today, you may be familiar with the phrase, I'd like to buy a vowel. Well, now Baton Rouge math and theater teacher Michael Russ can afford plenty of vowels and so much more after winning big on Wheel of Fortune. We check in with them to learn about his appearance on the show. Plus, the University of New Orleans recently published their findings from the Orleans and Jefferson Parish's Quality of Life Survey. We discuss what the findings reveal about crime and safety. But first... Short-term rentals like those listed on Airbnb have been a hot-button issue in New Orleans for years. Now the city is yet again gearing up to write new laws governing the controversial industry. To give us an update on where things stand, Louisiana Considered's managing producer Alana Schreiber spoke with WWNO's New Orleans reporter Carly Berlin. So we know New Orleans officials are getting ready to overhaul short-term rental rules, but... How exactly did we get here? So all of this started with a federal court ruling back in August from the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. So the court found that a key piece of the city's existing rules governing short-term rentals was unconstitutional. Now, to understand why, we have to go back to the last time New Orleans passed short-term rental laws back in 2019. There were lots of critiques that out-of-town investors were buying up whole houses in neighborhoods across the city and renting them to tourists as STRs. And to try to address that, the 2019 law made it a requirement that if you wanted to have a short-term rental like an Airbnb in an area that's zoned residential, you have to live there yourself. So think if you're a homeowner, you could rent out the other side of your shotgun double or a garage apartment behind your house. And to get a permit from the city, you'd have to show you have a homestead exemption for the property, which basically proves that you live there. But the court ruling gutted that provision, and it basically said that it violated the Commerce Clause of the U.S. Constitution because it discriminates against out-of-state property owners. So this ruling has kind of sent city officials scrambling. To try to stay in line with it, they've put in place a moratorium that basically halts new residential STR permits from being issued or existing ones from getting renewed. And officials have said the idea behind that is to basically have a fresh start once new rules are ready and to make sure everybody is under, you know, quote unquote, one regime. Um, And, you know, to clarify a little bit, and this gets into some wonky zoning territory, but stay with me. Um, Right now, New Orleans has two different types of short-term rental permits. So there are these residential ones that we've been talking about that have the residency requirement. And there are also commercial ones, which are for mixed-use or commercially zoned areas like the CBD, for instance. And these commercial STR permits, they aren't impacted by the moratorium that's in place right now. But as the city council heads back to the drawing board to totally rewrite STR rules, they could be affected too. You reported that there were some big updates on this saga at the city council meeting last week. What exactly happened? Yeah, so before the council meeting on Thursday last week, there were some really big items on the agenda that taken together would have effectively banned short-term rentals in residential areas. 
So one of these proposals would have revoked residential STR permits for people who already had them. That measure ended up getting withdrawn, which means the council doesn't plan to vote on it anymore. And a second one that would get rid of the residential STR permit type altogether, that was deferred to a future meeting. But the council did move forward with a motion that basically directs the city to formally start this process of drafting new rules. So the City Planning Commission, a different city entity, will now have to thoroughly review the existing STR laws and give recommendations for new ones and hold some public meetings to get input. And in this motion, the city council laid out some considerations that they want the planning commission to look at, like capping the number of STRs that can exist on a given block or only allowing them in commercial areas. Got it. Those seem like some big changes. So how are people reacting so far? Yeah, a lot of residential STR owners showed up to Thursday's meeting last week really, really worried about losing income that, you know, some say they've relied on to pay their mortgages. Here's one public commenter from Thursday, Morgan Clevenger. She has a short-term rental at her home in the Seventh Ward, and she said during the pandemic and after Ida, she lost a lot of business. This is really frightening, to be honest with you. A lot of other STR owners talked about needing the income from their STRs to keep up with rising housing costs right now. But other people, including housing advocates and representatives from neighborhood associations, they said they're optimistic that the city will now write stricter regulations that protect affordable housing and stop the displacement of longtime residents. Here's Alan Johnson, president of the Faubourg Marini Improvement Association at Thursday's meeting. A lot of the businesses that in our neighborhood that do benefit from short-term rentals would probably benefit more if they had full-time residents. Well, what should we expect now going forward? So the next step in the process to write the new rules will be a, a public meeting held by the City Planning Commission. We don't know exactly when that'll be yet. Uh, and looking a little further down the road, council members have promised repeatedly now that they will have new rules ready by March of 2023. Carly Berlin covers New Orleans for WWNO. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. In October, the University of New Orleans released its 2022 Quality of Life Survey for Orleans and Jefferson Parishes. Among the findings were concerns over the area's crime, with residents saying it's become a worse place to live over the past five years. And in New Orleans, the survey revealed negative approval ratings for much of the city's law enforcement. Here to tell us more about this survey, what they found, and how they conducted their research, a professor in the Department of Political Science and director of the UNO Survey Research Center, Dr. Edward Shervenak. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. We're also joined by Dr. Anthony Lashardi, University of New Orleans Research Associate. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Karen, for having me. Dr. Shrivenak, crime is really at the center of the survey. What were the questions you were asking and what were the reasons you found for residents feeling so unsafe? When it comes to the crime issue, you know, that usually comes out of the question, what do you think is the biggest problem facing Orleans Parish or Jefferson Parish? And so those are verbatim responses from the people that we talk to. We're not offering them a menu of choices. That's what they're telling us. 
So when we see 56% of Orleans residents saying crime is the biggest problem, that's exactly what they are saying. And also 39% in Jefferson Parish. So that gives us an indication that crime is really what's on their mind. And that as we go through the rest of the survey, you see how crime is weighing down people's attitudes about the city. Do you have any insight on why they're feeling this way? Well, it's all about perceptions when it comes to public opinion. And so this is what people perceive. It's how they interpret the reality that's out there. Um, and it's just not that there's crime. It's also that there's not a lot of faith in the police to protect them as well. We saw that the, the question about the quality of police protection fell into single digits. 6% of people rate that good or very good. So it's perceptions of crime, and it's also perceptions of the fact that they don't feel the police can protect them. Now, Dr. Lashardi, among the findings were negative approval ratings for uh, the superintendent, the district attorney, the parish sheriff, criminal courts. You also found a 31% approval rating for New Orleans Mayor Latoya Cantrell. What were some of the, the reasons participants gave for having so little faith in the city's leadership? Well, you know, one of the questions that we ask on the survey asks about how frequently do you hear gunshots in your neighborhood? Uh, every, every once in a while, every once a month, every few times a week. And I think that you know, this, this question uh, is directly correlated with the way people feel about crime in their neighborhoods, crime in the city, um, you know, how their leaders are doing, how the, how the mayor's doing, how the police chief or the superintendent is doing. Um, so when people hear, or how safe do you feel in your home during the day, or how safe do you feel in your home during the night? This, this, this is another question in the survey. Uh, and the answers to these are directly correlated with how well people think the superintendent or the mayor or the council or any, the sheriff, even though the sheriff is primarily a custodian of the prison, um, you know, these are all leaders of the city, uh, elected citywide, and, and, and they bear the brunt of the public opinion. I know Orleans Parish isn't the only parish in the study. You also looked at Jefferson. What were some of the main similarities and, and maybe differences even you found between the parishes? Well, the primary similarity is that both parishes tend to track each other in terms of perceptions of crime as increasing and also as the biggest problem. Uh, it's because they share the same media market. And so that gives an indication that people are basically taking from the news and from the headlines and basically thinking, well, this is what's going on out there. But, but some of the differences is that Je folks in Jefferson Parish are much more satisfied about life uh, in their parish. They rate their government services much more positively than do Orleans Parish residents. And they also rate their public officials much higher than folks in Orleans Parish. We see Cynthia Lee Shang, parish president, at a 75% job approval rating. We see parish sheriff Joe Lapinto, 79% job approval rating. And also, the, even the city council, 67% job approval rating. We're speaking with the University of New Orleans, professor of political science and director of the UNO Survey Research Center, Dr. Ed Shervenak and research associate, Dr. Anthony Lashardi, they recently published the 2022 Quality of Life Survey for Orleans and Jefferson Parishes. You know, I'd like to know more about how you conducted the survey. Who exactly did you speak with and how did you ensure that your sample represented the diverse populations of these parishes? Dr. Shervenak. 
Sure. Well, the population that we spoke to are registered voters in Orleans Parish and Jefferson Parish. And so we randomly selected 35,000 people, uh, registered voters out of each parish. And so it's this idea of randomness in the selection for the sample that this gives everyone in the population an equal chance of being selected for the sample. And so, for example, we know in the voter file, 56% of registered voters are female. And so if we randomly select uh, a subset of people out of that population, there'll be 56% female because each and every member has an equal and known chance of being selected for that sample. And then when we get down to our 500 people, all right, um, that we make sure that we are getting the requisite number of of males and females and and blacks and whites and others. Uh, And so that our sample is reflective of the population as a whole. And so by using a probability sample, we're able to infer from our sample to the larger population. So within a margin of error, of course, you know, at at 500 people, you're gonna have a plus or minus 4.3% margin of error. So it's, it's all about how you select your sample and then keeping track of that sample while we're, we're calling those people. All right. So there is a method to make sure there's a representative sample of, yes. of the population. One of the things that jumped out uh, to me was the finding that most of the people in both of these parishes believe that global climate change is responsible for the recent severity of hurricanes. But partisan differences of opinion are evident. Uh, what do you mean? Can you can you break that down for us? Well, sure. You know, we're no stranger to hurricanes. And so one of the questions we wanted to ask and, and learn from people is what they thought the reasons were for the increased severity of some of the recent hurricanes. And most people in both parishes said that it was global climate change, less so than they were just events that happened from time to time. Uh, but it was a bit more prevalent in Orleans Parish than Jefferson Parish. Now, at the national level, we can see that there are partisan differences on explaining the reasons why, you know, hurricanes are are becoming more severe. And and Democrats tend to believe it's global climate change. Republicans tend to believe that they're just events that happen from time to time. And so we wanted to test that at the local level. Uh, And so what we found is that it's partisanship and not place that determines people's attitudes on the reasons why hurricanes are becoming more severe. Republicans are solidly behind the idea that they're just events that happen from time to time. And Democrats from both parishes are of the idea that global climate change is responsible for the increased severity of hurricanes. But what was more interesting to me was when we asked nonpartisan voters, independent or non-party voters, how they felt about it. And in Jefferson Parish, 50% of nonpartisans said they believed it was global climate change, while in Orleans Parish, 64% of nonpartisans and independents believed that it was global climate change. So even parishes that are right next door to each other, one of them is more Republican, one of them is more Democrat, the survey's complete. The findings have been published. How might what you've gathered be used to address some of the problems that you identify? Where do you go from here? We look at this as a report card on the performance of government officials in the city. And our hope is that leaders do take our results and basically begin to think about ways to improve the quality of life, to deal with the crime, 
to fix the streets, to pick up the trash, to deliver all the services that, that people require. We've been talking with University of New Orleans Professor of Political Science and Director of the UNO Survey Research Center, Dr. Edward Chervenak, and Research Associate, Dr. Anthony Lashardi. Thank you both for, for joining us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. From WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Karen Henderson. We've all played along on the TV game show Wheel of Fortune, looking at the number of blanks, the vowels, the consonants to try to guess the correct word or phrase. It feels great when you get it right at home. Batridge math and theater teacher Michael Russ knows what it's like to guess right in person. Here's his moment from Wheel of Fortune. What are you wearing? You have 10 seconds to try to figure that out. Good luck. Hot blouse. Ah, a cute blouse, uh, white blouse. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Simple as that. After you said a cute blouse. That's Michael Russ solving the Wheel of Fortune puzzle for the win, which aired just a few weeks ago. Michael joins me now. Michael, congratulations on your win and good to have you on Louisiana Considered. Thank you. Michael, you won over $58,000 in cash and prizes, including a Mini Cooper. That's sweet. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Tell us about your journey to the Wheel of Fortune. I'm guessing you were already a fan of the show. Absolutely. I've been watching this show for as long as I can remember. Um, I actually auditioned for the show back in 2005 uh, when they came to New Orleans. And I guess I wasn't energetic enough, exciting enough, because they didn't pick me to be on the show. But then a few months later, uh, when they actually went, came back to actually tape the episode, Hurricane Katrina hit, so they never got to finish filming in New Orleans. Oh. So um, I saw, I seized another opportunity. So many years later, I decided to just send in an audition tape, uh, interest video rather, um, hoping to get on. And they called me, asked me to sit for an interview. And it was actually a Zoom conference interview. So it was quite fun. Did you did you do anything to prepare for your big shot at, at spinning the wheel? Did you have a, dist- a strategy going in? My only strategy was, and I, I discovered uh, I didn't uh, fulfill my strategy as I was actually playing the game, was I was trying not to buy any vowels. I was trying to see how much I can get through the puzzle without having to buy any vowels. And I, to, a, to an extent, it worked in my favor um, playing the game, actually. One thing else uh, that I wanted to do, and I did actually do in this moment, I said I didn't want to be greedy. Once I knew the puzzle, I was going to solve it. I wasn't going to keep spinning, trying to get more money. Holding out and then, then maybe missing out. Now, I know, exactly. I, I know that it tapes in California. So tell us about your time there. What, what, what it, was it like being on the set, meeting Pat Sajak, Vanna White, or things the way they appear on TV? Everything happened so fast. It was such a, uh, it was such a rush, but it was such an uh, amazing experience. Um, Pat and Vanna were very uh, kind people. Very cool. Pat actually had this little swag to him that was really cool. Swag. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, I got. He's hip. I like him. Um, very comical. He was very easy to talk to. Very personable. Um, during the commercial break, he would step aside and he, we would, he would be chatting with us while we were playing. Um, but very very personable. Vanna was real sweet. Um, I actually discovered 
during the taping that she and I have the same birthday. The experience on set, everything looks so much different in person. One um, one of the most interesting things was the wheel itself. It looks so much larger on TV than it actually is. We are speaking with Baton teacher, Wheel of Fortune winner, Michael Russ. You you didn't tell anybody when you got the, the news that you were going to be on the show. And I'm guessing you weren't allowed to tell anyone once you left the show, even though you'd won, you couldn't tell anybody. Right. And so that was the hardest part. I sat there quietly for three months, not telling anybody what happened. And so I just went on about my everyday life like, like I didn't just win $58,000 in cash and prizes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Michael, $58,000, as we know, the, uh, uh, in cash and prizes, we know that the Mini Cooper is a part of that. What are some of the other things that you won? So 13500 was won in cash, and then 7900 maybe was the trip to Riviera Maya in Mexico. Ooh, nice. The Maya Riviera, yeah. Seven-day you, you already have plans, I'm guessing, for for the uh, the money that you, you've won? Yeah, uh, I prior to going on the show, I had written out some things I would like to do. I had written out how much I wanted to win. <laughs> uh, I had actually written that out. Like, I, I don't want to be too greedy. Uh, this will be enough. And the main thing I wanted to do was put a new AC system in my home because the one I have is on the fridge. And I want enough to do that. Yeah. And and your your strategy was cut and run. When you get what you need, don't get greedy. Can you describe first what it was like, what was going through your head in that final round? What was it like, that, that final uh, puzzle? It's so funny because as I talked to everybody, it's like, oh, my God, we were screaming from the TV, white blouse, white blouse. And I was like, I had no clue what that was. I was really drawing a blank there. Um, and I guess because I was trying to think outside of the box because I've watched the show, and sometimes the puzzles aren't just that simple. <laughs> so, and there's was, not as much pressure. Come on. It's going right, to be a lot really easier right. at home. At the house, you don't have anything to lose. It's not your money that you're paying for. Exactly. <laughs> and this instance, and you only have 10 seconds. Those 10 seconds feel like one when you're trying to process what's going on. And so I knew the second word was a blouse, but that first word would not come to me at first. Cute blouse, white blouse. Because <laughs> I was like, what is in T-E? What is in T-E? And I was like, oh, white blouse. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, man. Well, what's it been like for you since the big reveal? How are people reacting? Your family, friends, students? The feedback has been amazing. Everybody has been uh, so supportive and so just happy and excited for me. And I was uh, I have a part-time job as well. I was at it just last night. And one of my coworkers told me, they was like, you know, it was really cool that you won. It's like, it's like you winning feels like a win for everybody in Louisiana. It's like, it's so cool. Like, in, the, in our state, our state being so small, our state being, you know, uh, familiar that we, um, when one of us succeeds, we feel like we all succeed with them. Well, again, congrats Absolutely. on your win, Michael. Michael Russ, Baton Rouge math teacher at Sherwood Middle Academic Magnet School here in Baton Rouge and winner of, everybody, Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> Michael, thank you. Thank you so much. From WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, you've been listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Karen Henderson. Thanks to our guest, WWNO's New Orleans reporter, Carly Berlin, professor in the Department of Political Science and director of the UNO Survey Research Center, Dr. Ed Shervinak, University of New Orleans research associate, Dr. Anthony Lashardi, and Baton Rouge math and theater teacher, Michael Russ. 
Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, and our digital editor is Caitlin Umholtz. Our engineers are Garrett Pittman, Aubrey Procell, and Thomas Walsh. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7.30 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from the Historic New Orleans Collection.